www.wjffradio.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And coming up, we'll be talking to Jeff Skelding live, friends of the Upper Delaware River, about the Neversink Watershed Management Plan. We've also got big news of a new grant. It's going to help out literacy volunteers in Sullivan County. Patricio Robayo has more on that. But let's start off by uh, trying to get a little more light on a question I heard a few people mention in the past couple weeks. With central New York affected by a court case preventing cannabis dispensaries in the region, those in the cannabis business are in a waiting game. WRVO's Ava Bukak spoke to some in the cannabis sector to find out more. Conditional dispensaries for cannabis in the Finger Lakes, Central New York, Western New York, Mid-Hudson, and Brooklyn are in limbo due to a Michigan company's lawsuit alleging the state's conditional adult-use retail dispensary license requirements discriminate out-of-state applicants. Jim Sharon, chair of the Central New York chapter of the Cannabis Association of New York, says the state is doing what it can to ramp up the cannabis industry despite the lawsuit. And if you've got people throwing roadblocks in front of them, that, it's not the state that's causing it. I mean, any any law, any regulation can be brought into interpretation and there can be a lawsuit. But is it a valid lawsuit or is it just a waste of time? Mike Flynn is looking to open Flintstones in the Armory Square area of Syracuse. The three-story, 13,000-square-foot facility is ready, and he has distributors lined up. But without a retail license, he's in limbo. People like me have have, a, that it, have establishments already built out. We're just sitting here waiting. Uh, no banks will work with us, so everything that I've done to this day is all through cash. Licenses for retail dispensaries are being distributed with an emphasis on individuals disproportionately impacted by the drug war. Here's Lila Hunt, Deputy Director of Public Health and Campaigns for the New York Office of Cannabis Management. New York was once recognized as the cannabis arrest capital of the nation, and as we move forward and build this new industry, it is critical that we recognize the history of cannabis in New York and use it as a framework to do better. Flynn applied under the qualifying business criteria. He meets it from having a marijuana-related offense in the state prior to the state legalizing cannabis. Selling weed was the first job I've ever had, and, and it'll be the last job I ever have. Uh, I started selling weed when I was 12 years old in sixth grade, and uh, all throughout my teenage years, all the way until I was uh, 24 years old is when I made my last marijuana sale. Other retail distribution licenses were given to nonprofits throughout the state, which have histories of serving and creating opportunities for formerly incarcerated individuals. That's how Carly Miller Hornick, CEO and co-founder of Flores Farms in Cortland, started selling at the Housing Works Dispensary in Manhattan. Flores Farms launched with five different strains of flour, pre-rolls, joints, gummies, and vapes. And we were the very first 
product bought in the very first legal dispensary in New York State by the director of the Office of Canvas Management. It was really exciting. Miller Hornick says the demand has been outrageous. So we were actually really surprised because there's a lot of people worried that there's a lot of illegal shops in New York City. And I think we were all really surprised at how big the turnout was. Um, And in talking to people in line, people were really excited about having products that they could trust that were lab tested. Flores Farms products are now available at the recently opened Just Breathe in Binghamton, the first state cannabis dispensary open in upstate New York. Miller Hornick says she also hopes to sell products closer to home, hoping to work with Ithaca Area Challenge Industries, one of the nonprofits granted a license for dispensary. Flynn Stoned is also set as a retailer once the business is granted its license. In Syracuse, I'm Ava Pukach, WRVO News. And thank you so much to Ava and also New York State Public Radio for that report. This is the local edition. And uh, for our first live guest of the evening, we'll be talking with Jeff Skelding, Executive Director for Friends of the Upper Delaware River, to discuss Never Sink Watershed Management Plan, uh, which has an acronym, NWMP, but it's not an acronym I can pronounce, so I'll, I'll probably just call it the Management Plan. Uh, Never Sink Watershed Management Plan developed by Sullivan County Trout Unlimited and Friends of the Upper Del- Delaware River. It's trying to provide a comprehensive profile of the Never Sink Watershed, set management goals and recommendations, and identify pilot sites for uh, project implementation. Jeff is on the phone with us right now to tell us about the upcoming third Zoom informational meeting that is happening on March 1st. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Jason. Thank you. So let's remind folks, we, we've mentioned it a couple times on air, but it's while we've got you, it'd be great to have you tell folks what exactly the Neversink Watershed Management Plan is and whether or not you can pronounce the acronym. Yeah, sorry about the acronym. It is a little tough. NWMP. NWMP, Neversink, never, as you said, Neversink Watershed Management Plan. <clears throat> Over the decades, we have learned that um, how important water is to our communities and to our people and our economy and our environment. And we also have learned that water tends to run through multiple political jurisdictions, right? Rivers don't really respect the political lines we have drawn. And so we've, over the decades, have figured out that we need to manage watersheds on a holistic basis, ideally from top to bottom. And that typically crosses over in New York, uh, towns and villages and county uh, borders. <clears throat> and that presents a whole series of challenges because we have different uh, different different governments, you know, multiple governments in one watershed, and we want to make sure that, you know, we're looking at the watershed, as I said, holistically, and we're bringing everybody together, not just the, not just governmental representatives, but also people who live there, right, people who rely on a healthy watershed, either through their jobs or Maybe they are streamside landowners or, you know, they drink the water. Um, we've, you know, we've got to protect the water from the top to the bottom. And the first thing we have to do is get a handle on what, what the, what condition the watershed is, is in. You know, is it, what challenges does it face? What opportunities does it offer? Is it clean? You know, where is it vulnerable? Those sort of things. So we're trying to launch this project, project, which we did a few months ago. And as you said, we're having our third meeting next Wednesday, uh, March 1st, from 6 to 7 p.m. It's our third, what we call, in a series of public education outreach meetings. 
the trip to watershed plans, Jason, is you've got to have people involved, right? You've got to have people interested, coming and talking. And that's what we're trying to invigorate here. And hopefully a year from now, we may have, we'll have a draft plan that takes a comprehensive look at the watershed, tells folks, tells folks what, what, conditions, what conditions it's in, what are its needs. Maybe we, you know, there might be some policy recommendations about land use or other things that impact water quality and people. Um, that's what we're shooting for here. Now, like you said, this is the third informational meeting. I'm wondering, you know, what what sorts of folks showed up to the first two, and what were you hearing from them? Yeah, we were pretty pleased with the turnout. Uh, you know, up up here in the Upper Delaware, we've done a lot of this work further north, up in Delaware County, uh, which is a little, a little bit more rural. And it's you know, it's it's not easy to get people to turn out on an evening, especially you know in the fall or winter. Uh, it's a real challenge for us, but, uh, we did, we did the two first two meetings by Zoom, which, you know, as it turns out, actually helps with attendance. So we probably had over 60 people at both meetings, and that's really good. And, you know, I think, uh, the, you know, the second meeting, we got a lot more feedback than the first meeting because people are just sort of, be, you know, kind of under, trying to understand what we're doing and doing a lot of listening. Uh, but eventually we want to transition that into us doing less talking and them doing more talking. And after this third meeting, I think our fourth, fifth, and sixth as we go through the summer, will be actually be in-person meetings. And we're looking for venues in Sullivan County where we can have 75 people. Believe it or not, that's been a little bit challenging for us to find. So if any of your listening audience has any suggestions of a, a room or a place where we could bring 70-plus people together to keep talking about this watershed and the points of it to people, communities, economy, and the environment, uh, we're all we're we're all ears here, but uh, yeah, this next next week it's, we'll be on Zoom again, and um, you know we have a couple of great speakers who are going to set the stage. Uh, Fred Eisenberg, uh, who, who is many people know uh, in your listening audience, the commissioner at the Sullivan County Division of Planning and Environmental Management, and she's brought in a woman named Sachi Pandey, who from the city, who uh, is a founding principal of a group called Metropolitan Urban Design Workshop. They're going to be talking about two things. One is the the big ticket item, Jason, of climate climate change and changing weather trends, and what you know what's happening, um, what's been happening over the decades. What it, you know, where is it heading? What does it mean for the watershed and the people who live there? And we're also going to talk about an issue that's near and dear to our hearts here at FUDR, which is the recreational value of the river. What's a river worth from a recreational perspective? Right? We know up here, for example, it's a you know, global global attraction as a, a world class wild trout fishing uh, angling stream up here, right? Neversink also offers tremendous angling opportunities, but there are other recreational benefits, uh, recreational opportunities that provide economic benefits to the county and the localities. And we're going to uh, do our best to kind of talk about how Neversink performs, uh, both through you know tourism value, recreation opportunities, and also what's happening with climate change and changing weather. Is there much that's in the management plan that's going to uh, re- reflect on climate change locally, this global thing that's happening? Is is it going to be uh, approached in this plan? Uh, it's going to be explained in this plan. So the, we did one of these up here in Delaware County. You know, we'll take a lot of, we'll take a look at the, the weather patterns, the weather history, the data that we have. We'll be, we'll tell people, okay, here's how, here's how it used to be. Here's how it is now. Here's the direction it's heading. And these are the kinds of impacts we expect to see. 
Obviously, you know, one of the big ticket items is flooding, right? Flooding is increasing in our in our very water-rich area of the United States here where we are. <clears throat> and that that presents enormous challenges for particularly for local municipal officials trying to manage that, anticipate that, figure out how do you manage a stream and when you know that's coming in the future, but also, you know, streamside landowners, business owners, you know, have to have to worry about flooding with every storm these days. Um, so that's, you know, probably the most obvious example. So, yeah, the plan is going to dig into that, talk about where we've been, where we're going, and what we can do to protect ourselves. All right. Um, you know, how about the fact that this is – I used to be a reporter, report for a weekly newspaper in the area, especially when the flooding started increasing. And one of the things that uh, became clear to me was how – you know, a human memory is so much shorter than geological memory. You know, and people would say things like, well, this wasn't like this when I was a kid. Um, but, you know, they, the streams had been uh, changed by people going back from the time that their grandfather's grandfather was a kid. Uh, is there is are you guys looking much at how uh, local streams and waterways have have been changed by development over over the last, you know, 100 to 200 years? Yeah, again, I keep I keep referring to the plan we did up here in Delaware County. We did a lot of that up here. We took a look at um, historic land uses going back, you know, since we got here. Right. <clears throat> and we you know, there's a lot of information about that. There's a lot of maps. There's old pictures. And you're able to deduce, you know, with some, I think fairly accurately, kind of what those impacts on the land did to the to the streams and the rivers, and how, as you say, you're exactly right, how they changed them, right? So, you know, great example, maybe in Delaware County might be, you know, 150 years ago it was dotted with old mill dams, right? And then they, you know, they did what they did, and then they kind of went out of business and you know, left to decay or removed or still there, even or remnants of them. You know, and, and one of the great examples we talk about is how they kind of we use a term destabilizing the stream or 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 the stream becomes unraveled. And basically that refers to an erosive condition that can happen, you know, up in a tributary. And once that happens it starts to bounce down the stream and have an impact every you know, everywhere, all the way down. So that <clears throat> that was a um a great example of but what you're what you're talking about where streams they're not static they change all the time and a lot of that has some of that's natural but some of it's also due to historic land uses so we're going to take a look at that what happened in the Neversink Valley you know 150 years ago and there's there's information out there that can point us in the right direction you know is there anything anything that you haven't heard from or any folks that you haven't seen yet uh meaning people representing different areas different walks of life that you'd like to see at the next session people the, whose input you would like to see at the next session or upcoming sessions or uh ideas or subjects that haven't come up yet yeah there's plenty of both um <clears throat> excuse me i'm getting i'm coming off a little bit of a, a battle with a with a cold here. Oh, no problem. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of both, for sure. I mean, the, as I said earlier, the best watershed plan is represented by the widest diversity of watershed stakeholders. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that have come so far do represent local government. A lot of them are local landowners who might have a project going on nearby where they have questions or concerns about it. Um, so we ha- we've seen, uh, uh, you know, a fair share of anglers who fish to Neversink because it's a very fine trout stream 
but there are certainly sectors, Jason, and I, we'd have to take a look. Um, but you know, with that have you know that we could probably use a little more representation from. Um, you know, local businesses uh, comes to mind for me. I mean, the, you know, the, we're, you know, you, you know, this, we're, we're, you know, kind of an attractive place for, you know, outward migration from the city, particularly during the COVID area, right? Like that's kind of changed the, uh, uh, the social and economic landscape a little bit. What's, you know, how's that, you know, what's going on with that? And how can, you know, in the context of managing our watershed, is there something, you know, we can do to adjust and, you know, go with that and make that work for us or certainly not work against us? And, you know, again, to, for us to learn about that, we need to hear from the people who are directly on the front lines of that. So, you know, we're, we'll be continuing to work to get uh, as wide a diversity of people as we can. And we thank you for allowing us to have on the radio because it's one way to do it is, you know, get hopefully there's a... You know, your your audience is listening and they're interested and, and uh, they'll start coming to our meetings. Along those lines, uh, where where is there more information about the meetings if people want to find out more? Yeah, I, I don't want to repeat that acronym again. You've already pointed out the difficulty of it. So, but, but if you, I, if you go I, to I'm w- sorry w- for w- making w- fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, www.fudr.org. Uh, and then if you want to, I could, then I could go forward slash never sink WMP. That's as in never sink watershed management plan. And that'll get you right there for all the information you need. And I also want to make sure that folks know it's not just FUDR that's doing this. This was, this is the product of a, uh, federal grant through the Delaware River program. And then actually the, um, the principal applicant on that was the uh, Sullivan County was Freda's group, uh, the Sullivan County D- Division of Planning and Environmental Management, and tr- our partner group Trout Unlimited is also uh, uh, another critical, critically important partner in the effort. So uh, this is sort of a three-group effort, and then we're getting a lot of help from lots of other people. I, I have something in my notes here about a pilot site. Are, so is are there? places that you've identified or you want to try some of these practices out initially before a wider rollout? Is that what the pilot sites are? Yeah, because, um, you know, one of the things you have to be really careful with, with planning processes, I happen to believe planning is critical. Like you can't really go somewhere if you don't have a plan. Right. But it, 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 I do also agree that a planning exercise in isolation can be, you know, a little bit frustrating and tedious for some some people, you know, and, and not, you know, it's difficult to keep them hanging in there. So what we did was we said, okay, we, along the planning, along the way, we're also going to do some projects, some actual on-the-ground projects. And um, if people go to that website, they can learn more about the three projects that we're engaged in. I believe there's a park project and a culvert project. I'm sorry, I don't have that in front of me. But, yes, they will be, they will be ongoing in the upcoming season. And we'll be able to kind of feature them and say, you know, these are examples of the kind of things that might be an outcome of this plan. You know, we expect that the plan will identify, right, and prioritize projects in need. And that would be one of the benefits of the plan is once you finish it and you have a list of projects, you know, that really helps you when you when you go out and try to find funding for them. You know, uh, without a plan without specific projects identified if any funder is going to be a little hesitant to say, you know, yeah, I want to give you lots of money to do this. So that's another big part of this, another uh, important part of this planning process. 
All right, Jeff, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much, Jason. Thank you for having me. We've been talking to Jeff Skelding from Friends of the Upper Delaware River, talking about the Never Sink Watershed Management Plan. There's more information at FUDR.org. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Akuza Grace, KG, doing African American history during the month of February. Black History Month was originally created to fight ignorance and to prevent the continuation of misconception about black people and their history. So I'll be doing presentations on black history from then until now. So please check me out Tuesday on the Music Emporium. We're just minutes away from Music Emporium starting. Kusar Great's getting ready over in the other studio. I'm Jason Dole. I'm here for the end of the local edition here on a Tuesday talking about the Wolf Lake Neighbors Foundation awarding a $2,500 grant to literacy volunteers in Sullivan County. This is a grant that's going to allow literacy volunteers to expand its services by offering an additional English as a second language class for the year. Uh, today, Patricia Robayo from Radio Catskills spoke with Angela Dutcher, executive director of literacy volunteers about this grant and what is coming next. Volunteers, we, we, Currently, when we first started, um, let's go backwards a little. When we first started, we had volunteer t- tutors, one-on-one tutors that would tutor adults for free. And it worked great for the longest time. However, the population, our ESL, English is a Second Language population, over the past five years, and especially this year, has exploded. And I do mean exploded. And we have had to reevaluate how we do business. And currently, we pay an ESL teacher a small amount to teach classes for us. And each of those classes has about 20 students in it. That's a two-hour class once a week, 20 students each. And uh, so that was 60 students right there. But they keep – there's just so many more that we can't service because our our classrooms – 20 is about the limit on our classroom, and not all of our ESL people could come on the weekend, which is when we had the class was on Saturdays. So our ESL teacher said that he would be more than happy to teach a a class during the week in the evening. Wolf Lake Foundation found found out about that, and they were were willing to help us pay, pay the teacher for that class. So that allows us to service another 20 to 30 students on top of our one-on-one and everything for those English as a second language classes. That's really great that the Wolf Lake Neighbors Foundation really stepped up to provide the the necessary funds to have this extra class. Just to let folks know, the Wolf Lake Neighbors Foundation is a nonprofit 501c charitable organization supported by homeowners at the nearby Wolf Lake. Angela, can you talk about the increase in students? You have such a fast increase of students. What is this? What can you attribute to to the increase in students? Is it a population increase or is it other factors contributing to this? 
There's two different things that happened. Number one, our county did see an increase in the ASL population. A lot of the migrants coming in have moved into our area, which is Sullivan County, Orange County, Ulster County. But the other thing that's happened since the pandemic was that adult BOCES, Sullivan County BOCES adult education programming closed. So there is no longer any other place to get ESL classes or general education classes. So we've taken up the slack on that. So we went from 30 students and it's 30 ESL students to 90 because there's no place else for them to go. That's great that the literacy volunteers of Sullivan County has been able to step up and fill that need. Yes. No, it's fine. Yeah, we're here to help out, but we're here. We're re- like I said, we've re- we're reimagining what we do and how we do it because one-on-one tutoring is just not going to work any longer, not in the environment we're in. So, so it was so nice that Wolf Lake um, Foundation came through and said, "Yes, we're willing to help." You know, with a class. And how are you finding new students to attend your classes? How how are the classes filling up? Are you advertising? Are you going out to the community? What are you doing? Believe it, it's word of mouth. It's the, the majority of our students now, when they come in and they fill out our application, it says, where did you hear about it? And it says another student or friend. So it's the, it's 100% word of mouth in that population because they know each other and they feel safe. They know they can come to us and there's no question, you know. Absolutely. Now, what is actually taught in the classes? I, I'm assuming state the obvious, the basic literacy skills that you would need to live in this world. Are there, in your class, are there scenarios uh, being built for them so they sort of have real-world experiences in some capacity to learn their language and put their language, their new language, into practice? It's part, that's part of it for our basic, for for our very, very beginning learners. It's, yeah, how to shop, how to, you know, what, you know, how to navigate the world. But um, our teacher, he also puts in things for civics and things for citizenship information. So, and some of our students um, actually in in a few of the classes have no, are not literate in their own language. So he also goes even more basic, you know, money, things like that. So it's a little bit of everything. There's different levels of these classes. And the one, the one morning class on Saturday is more conversation to get people more comfortable speaking English and learning, you know, like I said, the, the citizenship, learning the questions and how to have a conversation. So that is also part of the more advanced classes. Angela, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about, especially how they can support the literacy volunteers of Sullivan County? I think one of the most, one of the best ways for them to support literacy is to shop at the bookstore. I know a lot of people don't have time to volunteer and don't have, um, you know, means to, to financially support literacy itself, but shopping at the bookstore is one of the most wonderful ways. There's always something there. Everybody likes a book. There we have DVDs. We have VCR tapes. So just coming in and helping support by being a customer is always a wonderful way to go. Absolutely. And the Literacy Volunteers runs two bookstores, I believe, one in Monticello and the other one in Bethel. Is that correct? We do have one in Bethel, but uh, winter hours at the Bethel bookstore are sketchy. 
So I would say the best bet for our Bethel bookstore is to give us a call and make sure that there's somebody there. And the bookstore in Monticello is located where? 63 North Street. It's right across from the government center. That's great. That's awesome. Angela, before we go, anything else? No, I think that's almost everything. I mean, you, you, you're so supportive and we are just trying to, you know, do the best we can with every, with what we have and we appreciate everybody's support. We were talking to Angela Dutcher, Executive Director for the Literacy Volunteers of Sullivan County, talking about their recent grant they received from the Wolf Lake Neighbors Foundation. And this grant will help them create more ELS classes for the growing population we have here in Sullivan County. Angela, thank you so much for joining me on the program. I do really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. All right. Thank you, Patricio, for that report. And thank you for listening. This is the local edition. It has been a local edition. My name is Jason Dole. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk to Leah Mayo, the River Reporter, get the latest news for our area. Local edition comes to you every weekday evening at 6.30, only here on Radio Catskill. Listen on air, online, on your smartphone, or on your smart speaker. Ask it to play Radio Catskill. Also, WJFFRadio.org. And the Local Edition podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Just look for the Local Edition from Radio Catskill. Stay tuned. Coming up, we got Kusar Grace, Mr. Kusar Grace, Music Emporium. Uh, remember, there's a winter weather advisory starting at 10 a.m. for Wayne and Pike and Broome counties, starting more in the afternoon, 3 p.m. for Sullivan and Delaware. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Women's Health Center in Honesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. From Rourke Law, Liberty, New York, a general law practice serving the Catskills and Delaware River Valley, with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com.